Switched on IT is proudly brought to you by computer troubleshooters to Wimble West and Oz Hosting, Cloud Made Easy. Welcome to Switched on IT. I'm Barry. This is the show where we talk about everything IT. Today we are seeing an increased emphasis in business on your online presence and we talked a little bit about uh, some of those things here we've talked about online stores we've talked about uh, websites and a few other things like that especially at this time when online is becoming more and more critical and today Doug and Ray want to talk about your online branding and when you think about branding Branding is one of the most important steps in establishing your business and making sure that people understand who you are, and what your ethos is, uh, what you do, how they feel about you, what your colors are, and so on. Uh, this is more than just simply coming with something coming up with something out of the blue there there is a fairly important process that uh, you need to go through in order to get your branding right now your online branding uh, is as critical as your regular physical branding uh, there are possibly some differences to it uh, in the way you set it up but today Doug and Ray who are standing by now are going to talk about your branding and in particular your online branding Doug and Ray welcome to the show today hi there Hi, Barry Hi. Ray, uh, what are the things that our reviewers need to know about their online branding? Yeah, so what we are going to do today is really talk about online or digital identity and really uh, kind of flesh out the differences between when you're building a, a brand today and what the brand identity is going to look like. And so just to kind of parse this apart for folks, understand that a brand is the visual, verbal, and emotional uh, components of a business, of of, an, of a front end of, of a business. And uh, what we are really talking about when we talk about brand identity are the components that we are creating for that. So that could include logo or wordmark, that will include colors, topography, and other elements, graphic elements, and so on and so forth that we're using in combination to be able to generate the brand messaging that then creates that verbal, visual, and emotional response from the the experience of your visitors to your website or visitors to your retail store. And uh, we're going to talk about this quite a bit in terms of consistency, consistency of these pieces. Uh, but what Doug and I are going to do is really take a survey of the various components from not just the initial core pieces that you need to get online, but then walking through some of the website elements, uh, email, uh, social, and then ultimately mobile. And so, Doug, can we start with the components of kind of the core elements of a, of a business, starting from name and tagline and website address. What are some of the things that really resonate with you regarding a brand when you come across one that makes it stand out from the rest? I think one of the key things is understanding um, exactly what the, biz, what, what the business is about, what problem it is, it is solving for me. So. Um, you know, when I when I look at a business and I'm 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 looking to understand you know the quality of their branding, um, it, it should be ideally for any potential customer um, 
very clear what the business is going to, to do for them. And wherever they look, it should be a consistent um, message. So, you know, getting back to, to the point about um, the, 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 visual, the visual elements, the visual elements need to be consistent regardless of, of where I'm seeing them. And they've got to resonate with what sort of business it is, you know, and I think we all know, um, you know, for example, in healthcare businesses, they tend to like to have a lot of white. It gives things a very clinical look. Um, sometimes they introduce some sort of, you know, some soft blues in there because, um, you know, that is also consistent with with what people associate with, uh, with you know, clinically pure and, uh, um, you know, I guess uh, effective and efficient, you know, health-related products and so on. So the visual elements have got to be consistent right across the across the board. Um, you know, then then in terms of the uh, the other aspects as well. Um, it's going to be the same, the same across the, the visual, the verbal, and um, you know all the elements across the brand. So that, that's you know essentially what I look for is I want to know what you stand for, what it's most likely that you're going to do for me, what problem you're going to solve, and everything about you has got to support that. Yeah, and and you really come across some really important points here. And you know, one of the most important things I think about is uh, what I call a brand-enabled business name, and it's what you what you're talking about, which is a, a name and many times a tagline also that explains what the business is all about. Uh, I don't necessarily believe that a business name needs to tell me what the business does uh, because you can support, be supported by a tagline that does that for the brand. That part of the brand identity can help support it. So for example, my company's name is W3 Consulting and most people have no idea what W3 stands for. Uh, w to the power of three or World Wide Web Consulting is because we help people uh, with web uh, you know, uh, presence. So the, the goal of being able to um, educate people about your brand doesn't have to be caked into the name itself. Uh, obviously, you know that I do some kind of consulting, uh, <laughs> but there are thousands of types of consulting. And so we then chose uh, helping small business on the web and beyond, right? That's our tagline, and that helps to shore up our brand message, right? If you see W3 Consulting and then you see the words helping small business on the web and beyond, now you can tie together, oh, this W3 Consulting name is associated with helping small business on the web and beyond. Now note, you still don't quite know what it is we do. We do some kind of consulting to help small businesses on the web and beyond, uh, but you can, you can have a sense of what it is that we do, and then you can look to more of the brand identity to be able to help solidify what it is that you do. So some brands attempt to be very, very uh, you know, uh, prima facie. They try to tell you exactly what it is that you do up front. Some businesses, uh, like mine, uh, kind of teases you, right? Uh, you're going to come into contact with uh, the name and the tagline, potentially a logo or some kind of mark, and you're going to be guided into what it is that that business does. And it's kind of like courting. It's like it's like a romantic dating situation. Uh, you don't have to know all the pieces up front, but all the pieces need to be consistently leading you in the direction of starting to know what it is that what it is you do and why you're doing it. So it's not that the the brand has to be so um, kind of in your face about what it is you do. For me, it's about being able to make sure that it's consistently leading you in the right direction toward a consistent message. It all has to be mindful. It has to be thoughtfully created, not necessarily that it has to be uh, so, um, you know, on its face what it is. Um, so as we talked about, there's logo, there's, there's business name, your tagline. Um, let's talk a little bit, Doug, about website addresses 
Um, this is our first foray into what bleeds over from the real world or the physical world of branding into what is online. Um, how do you um, talk about the idea of choosing or selecting uh, website addresses, that is a domain name uh, and, and so on and so forth? Obviously, we start off with second level domains um, and uh, or we, we sometimes start off with, I guess, uh, TLDs, which is the top level domain. Uh, that is your .com. Uh, you know, .com, .au, or, um, you know, those kinds of, of, uh, of parts of the domain name. And then we think about second-level domain, which is typically the uh, more customized part of the name. So, you know, uh, abcbusiness.com, uh, the second-level domain is the ABC business part. What do you think about, Doug, when, when it comes to choosing those types of domains with customers? Sure. Um... Typically, customers, uh, well, what we see, what I see certainly, you know, in Australia, people have, have their business name. Um, sometimes it's a little bit too long for a user-friendly domain name. Um, and so then typically what I do is I encourage them to, to register their business name. Um, typically, I would recommend that they register it as a .au because, I, and I ask them, you know, where is your where is your audience going to be based? Are they going to be primarily based in Australia? If they're primarily based in Australia, then it's fine to to run with a .au as being the, the primary email address, and and maybe use their business name just so, in a sense, that they can that they can protect it. But then I'd always encourage them to to shorten down their their their, their domain name. So that it's it's just going to be, um, I think, visually easy to take in, and in a in a sense, a little bit more user friendly. Um, it's going to be in their email addresses. You don't want to have a you know massive long email address either. So what we're able to do is we can set up domain name forwarding. So for example, they they can have their their big long, you know, historically uh, correct. Um, business name and, and just put .com.au out of it, but we can then forward that to to their um, to the domain name that they actually might use for their website and for their email. So so forwarding is, is something to bear in mind that you can do. And then the other consideration in in all this is to um, is, is to consider um, protecting the brand name that you've got. So you know, if you've got the .au for both your, your long business name and and then the, the, the sort of the truncated version of that, um, should you also be considering .net.au? Should you actually still go and purchase the .com? Do you have any any customers that are over in uh, New Zealand, which would be common for Australian businesses? Maybe consider purchasing the .co.nz. We can set up forwarding of all of those. To the to the primary uh, URL or the primary domain name that is that is used by the, the business on its on its website. There's you know there's nothing nothing difficult about about doing that. So you know typically that's our advice to our customers. Um, try try to keep it short. Um, try to protect the brand and try and try and be respectful and and, and sort of use the um, you know, if you like the, the the collateral that you've already created, or the or the asset that you've already created in the long version of the um, of the business name, and that tends to work, you know, pretty well for for you know most particularly most of our Australian customers. Yeah, so I, I have something called my um, kind of the my revised LDH rules, <laughs> um, and so uh, the the idea here is that um, you have the the components of 
a domain. Uh, and, and so I say that domains typically should be between 4 and 20 characters, and, uh, and, and really going above 20 characters on a domain name is going to cause a lot of problems uh, just down the, down the path. Um, so that this, this, this here we're talking about really the second level domain, so that unique part of the, um, of the you know, domain before .com, .au, or, uh, and so forth. Um, you, you are required to have at least one alphabetical character in your domain name, um, according to ICANN. Uh, you want, of course, letters, numbers. Uh, if you have to, you can use hyphens, uh, and so you can do that. Um, you should avoid the numbers and hyphens, though, unless, like, for example, in my company name, we have the, the number three in our domain. Um, I always joke that if I, uh, thankfully, we have a lot more uh, top-level domains now, so uh, we have the choice of being able to have our full uh, name uh, written out. Uh, but when we first started, I took the shortest possible domain that included a number, and I I will say that it has caused me a lot of headaches over the years uh, because I have to constantly explain to people that they need to type in w the number three uh, in our domain name, uh, and that has caused problems. So if you can avoid it. Uh, feel, you know, I, I, I have no problem with you just avoiding uh, numbers and hyphens altogether. You should avoid abbreviations uh, generally, um, and and just just be mindful of the fact that abbreviations many times will cause you more problems. I see this all the time with law firms. Uh, so, uh, you know, I see a law firm will say, oh, well, we'll just take the three letters of our partner's current names, add law firm to the end dot com, and. Uh, what ends up happening is that you have a rotation of partners over the course of years, and uh, then all of a sudden, you know, the domain comes out of out of uh, you know kind of accuracy and appropriateness very quickly, and nobody knows what those three letters are. It's not helpful to Google. It's not helpful to the company. All it did was create a shorter URL for no reason. Uh, so, abs absolutely keep your domain as short as possible. Uh, again, between that four and twenty characters, but don't be foolish uh, you know about it you're not paying per letter uh, in the domain name uh, so be mindful of the fact that it should mean something there is something known as an exact match domain or an EMD um, in the exact match domain world it's it's what you would type in to Google or another search engine in order to actually find that content so for example uh, say uh, you would type in Toowoomba dogwalking.com.au well if you are a dog walker in Toowoomba, obviously that exact match domain would be really useful for you, even if your name of the company was Jack's Dog Walking Company. Okay, you can take jacksdogwalkingcompany.com.au, but in reality, uh, toowoombadogwalking.com.au is going to be a lot more useful to you because it's an exact match domain. It is what someone is actually typing in to find you. And again, immediately upon looking at that domain, we recognize that it's breaking my revised LDH rule uh, rules, um, and that's okay. Right? We, we have to remember that there are going to be times in which we uh, break the rules with good purpose, but it has to have a reason for doing so. So we just want to make sure that we're making the right choices when it comes to those. And that really comes into, into how you develop a web brand identity. When you think about how you're thinking about your digital identity overall, you need to take into account the digital components. Why I'm giving you these rules is because there are some technical uh, ramifications for making some of these decisions, but then you have to say, you know what, we're just going to break this rule because it makes most sense for the brand. And it's, gonna, it's going to then be evocative 
for the visitors, the people who are seeing it. It's going to make most sense to, to everybody around us. Uh, so you may come into some challenges. For example, uh, having Toowoomba dog walking as your domain means that you probably can't have that as your Twitter handle because it, it's, it's longer than the, uh, the available characters that Twitter will allow. Um, it's going to be longer than the available characters allowed by Facebook for your Facebook page. So there are some things here that we have to consistently be ta being taken into account when it comes to these things, and we want consistency of the brand. So then when we get down to the um, short list of domains that we could have, we may then decide to scrap the exact match domain as our choice because uh, it's just going to cause too many downstream problems. And that's the kind of decision making that needs to happen is coming up with some good options and then looking at all the technical parameters that are necessary and then slowly filtering out the items that don't work and deciding upon the ones that do. And then it becomes just a practical decision. Okay, So, uh, you know, we, we I could spend literally hours and hours talking about choosing domains because uh, I teach full workshops on the topic. But... Um, but let's move on to uh, the web and uh, building a website, both on desktop and mobile. What are some of the components, Doug, that you tend to think about when it comes to a good website? Sure. Um, I think one of the most important considerations is to, to sort of look forward and think about, you know, where are you going to be in a, in a couple of years' time and what sort of... Um, Ability that you want to, to have to be able to you know control um, all the elements of your website, all the design elements, its capabilities, um, whether or not it's going to be an e-commerce platform or not, um, and also your sort of resources and skills in in, in managing all that. Um, so you know, I think if, if people are going to have any kind of an e-commerce site, and I think we're probably talking about mostly businesses where e-commerce um, can certainly be a key factor in, in why they're even, um, you know, contemplating having their whole, um, you know, online uh, presence. Um, then they need to consider things such as, you know, as, as, as a product such as Shopify, which is where all the e-commerce capabilities and the hosting is provided within the one package. Um, and does that give them the sort of the flexibility and the, and the scalability that they need and, and also the costs? Um, or should they... Or should they be considering something like a, a WordPress WooCommerce solution, which is, you know, essentially a solution where um, they probably have considerably more choices in terms of the look and feel of the website. They've got, you know, literally um, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of, of WordPress themes out there that are being pre-built that will, you know, adapt to uh, to your requirements, whether you're a, uh, you know, a, a an art gallery, or you're a, or you're a plumber, or whatever. Somebody has built a, a pre-built a theme which, which is um, built around your type of uh, your type of business, um, and then and then you've got to consider um, what the user experience is going to going to be like. So you know, typically, if you're an Australian-based company, you might uh, just in terms of um, you know the, the speed with which. Uh, websites will, will load into pages and those sorts of things, you might want to make sure that, that whatever you do that it's hosted in Australia just so that you can deliver the best experience for the customers in terms of, you know, not having anything that is that is laggy. So, you know, certainly in that um, in, in that website area, um, I'd be I'd be thinking of what look do I want to give my website 
and how can I best achieve that? So if, can I go can I go down the Shopify route, or do I need to look at themes and maybe use a WordPress solution? And I think a, another element in all this is going to be the extent to which um, my site is going to be viewed on mobile phones and, and tablets, and then you know I, I also need to consider whether this is going to be a website which is um, which is adaptive and going to give a terrific user experience regardless of you know the type of device that they're, they're browsing on. So there are, there are a couple of the sort of the um, tips and hints that I would say should be in the consideration set when you're, when you're looking at the, uh, at the online path. Are there any, any others there that you can think that you'd suggest, Ray? Um, Ray, before you answer that, um, uh, let me just interrupt for a second. Doug, um, to what extent does your online presence or should your online presence um, if we're talking about, um, uh, for example, a, an online store um, or um, uh, even a consulting business or something like that, to what extent should your online presence reflect the customer experience of your physical experience? Right. Look, um, I'd, I'd say the short answer is, as, as, as much as possible, you know, I think if, if you've got a bricks and mortar um, business, then, you know, think about, think about what the journey is when people come into your, come into your business. How did they find you in the first place? You know, if, you, if you're renting out uh, construction equipment or you've got a, a retail store where people actually buy stuff, they might buy, you know, beauty products or something like that. If you think about the customer journey and what it's been like, for the offline experience, I think that kind of guides you and informs you as to what you would be doing in the online experience. And I, I think you know, looking at some of that, I'd say, all right, for you know, um, somebody who's who, for example, might you know rent out specialised equipment or something like that, then the the layout of your of your website, you know, the different categories you've got, um, how products and different tools are used, maybe. You know, there's an opportunity where you would have some some video content which demonstrates how particular things are used and what the what the various features are, um, because that might map back, or you may have already experienced that with people walking into. If you've got a physical store, they come in, they start walking around, they look at things, they start asking staff questions about you know the product or the service. All of that is information that when they're online, they're probably, their thought processes are probably very similar. And I think you can definitely um, design your, your, your website and the experience of your website to emulate what you've observed in real life in the offline version of your business. So, um, Ray, have you got any sort of experience across that? Yeah, I, th I think you're, you're spot on. I always say that uh, people should make their website experience the same as their retail experience uh, with with one thing in mind which is that the the person who is visiting your store uh, can see and hear and touch everything in your store whereas you are almost senseless uh, <laughs> you you lack sight you lack hearing and um, that person is experiencing your store without you being able to guide them uh, around the store other than through the structure you've created for them. So the user experience, the retail experience on a website is so important 
because you need to you need to anticipate how that person is going to experience the store and when they show up they show up with you not there it's in essence a self-serve environment and think about your your retail experience you typically have a clerk who's in the store or if it's a service-based business you still have somebody who is manning uh, the counter or comes to your office, schedules a meeting, and comes in uh, to uh, the, the business location. If, if you have all of that, think about taking that person out of the circumstance and how do you facilitate bringing someone closer, closer to a sale or at least closer to what you need in terms of bringing them uh, down the funnel um, without you being able to, to present yourself and answer questions. Now, of course, there are ways to increase that. You can put online chat. You can put a bot on the website that answers questions and so on and so forth. But if the branding is not there to be consistent with the experience people have in their in a physical retail space, then there's a there's a missing uh, element there that's going to really make the buying experience uh, less useful for you as a business owner because you're just not going to have as high conversion. People need to see consistency of the retail to the online retail and. Uh, so I, I think you're, you're, you're spot on there, Doug, about wanting to make sure people have those pieces outlined. What I always say is look at the retail experience in a physical store. And then item by item, what does the register look like at, you know, the counter look like in your physical store? How do you replicate that in the virtual experience? Uh, when someone has a question, how do you replicate answering questions for people in uh, the physical store? How are you going to do that in the online store? Are you going to have an appointment scheduler on the website so people can have a video chat with you? Are you going to have online chat so people can type messages back and forth with you in real time or a customer service agent? Are you going to have an FAQ page where people can ask their frequently asked questions and, and self-serve the answers there? Are you going to have a knowledge base? There are all kinds of ways to manifest the technology to handle each of these components that people experience on the web. But part of that brand identity is making sure that it fits the tenor and the style of the business. So for example, uh, you wouldn't just have a self-serve FAQ page uh, on, say, a, an accountant's website. Uh, many times the questions people have are fairly uh, customized. You're going to want to have a consultation with uh, an accountant or a chartered accountant or someone who's going to uh, be your tax advisor or otherwise. Uh, so this idea of just putting a bunch of answers to uh, generic questions on a website is not particularly going to be useful in that business. And I see it happen all the time. You know, uh, you know, somebody wants to start uh, financial advising or for businesses or tax advisory business. They go ahead and put up a website and they they just stuff a bunch of uh, questions to commonly ask. Uh, you know. Uh, stuff them with answers to commonly asked questions. Um, and the reality is, is that's not how a person starting a business wants to consume your services. So you really need to think that through. Just walk yourself through the steps of how someone's going to experience your business. And is that the way someone, if you were the customer, would you want to be treated that way? Now there's some businesses, sure, they go to a Shopify site, they buy your widget, they download it and they go on with their life. Uh, but other businesses are much more customized and need a human involved. And you need to be able to create that level of uh, sophistication on the website so that you can uh, facilitate that level of, uh, uh, you know, of, of kind of paving the pathway toward purchase for those people. If you're a high-touch business, you should have a high-touch website. If you are a low-touch business, then you can have a low-touch website. But it really uh, means making those pieces come together. So with that, Doug, let's uh, take a break uh, for some commercials, and then when we get back, we'll talk about how we set up email, social, and mobile brand identity for digital. When the going gets tough, advertising is a must. 
Thousands of potential customers make buying decisions every day based on advertising they've seen or heard on radio and television. Are you losing sales because potential customers don't know what you offer? Get your business, product or service in front of thousands of potential customers with a joint advertising package on Power FM and PTV Channel O. Capture a multimedia audience with our affordable radio, TV, media advertising package. Stay ahead of the pack by contacting Barry on 0431 390 920 or email feedback at ptvchannelo.com or jeff at powerfmtoowoomba at gmail.com. Is your computer driving you crazy? Is it slow or doing things you didn't expect? Well, having a computer crash or pick up a virus can be a complete nightmare for a business, so having someone local you can trust to get you up and running again is critical. The dedicated team of experts at Computer Troubleshooters Toowoomba West will put your mind at ease from the moment you walk through the door and will get your problem solved in no time with a 100% guarantee on their work. Laptops, tablets, PCs, whatever you have, Roger and the team can fix it for you. So visit them today at 236 Bridge Street, Newtown. Can't get in to see them? No worries. Just call them on 46421331 and they'll come to you. Toowoomba Troubleshooters, Toowoomba West, on the web at www.computertroubleshooters.com.au forward slash Toowoomba West. Power FM is total entertainment. From the morning drive with Fiona and Jeff to the drive home with Jeff Black. On the weekends, catch the Crazy Kevin Show, Dennis Mitchell's Breakfast with the Beatles, the Semi-Pro Sports Show, and Racing Nation with James O'Shea, plus the music you grew up with. Keep your radio dial locked on Toowoomba's Power FM, celebrating 10 years. You'll find us at 88.0 on the FM dial or online at www.powerfmradio.com.au. Welcome back, everybody. And before the break, uh, Doug and I were talking about a website branding identity and making our way into uh, the next phase, which is uh, remarkably email. Email is a strata of the internet, and uh, and email branding is really important and a, a really vital aspect of many businesses on the web. And so let's talk, Doug, a little bit about what makes good branded email. And uh, I, I would say, let's start off with the email address itself. Um, what does a good branded email look like? Sure. Um, I, I think a, a good branded email is going to be entirely consistent with the, the brand persona, um, you know, the, the, the visual, verbal and emotional cues that you've, that you've placed on your, your website. The, uh, the, the email, um, you know, if you like, the email template that you cre create has got to has got to uh, um, emulate that to to the maximum extent possible. Um, I, and I think it's fair to say, then, if that's the case, then the, the the business is going to need to use a proper, you know, business grade um, email marketing platform. So you know, they're not going to be sending emails where they've uh, you know, taking their own business email service and then added in some nice images, and they've got their address list, and they're going to start sending that out. That is that is not something that, that they should be doing. Apart from anything else, if you're going to do any um, email communications with with either customers or potential customers, maybe people that have submitted an online form expressing interest 
in in your products or, or services, as soon as you actually start sending out email campaigns, not only must they be consistent with, with everything um, from a brand aspect about the business, but if they're on a proper email marketing um, platform, you can then start to make sure that the the look and feel of, um, of the email is consistent. You can also optimise its deliverability because you're not going to have you know, necessarily massive big images in there. Um, an email marketing platform will make it easy for you to put in the different um, hyperlinks that will that will lead to different parts of your uh, your business. And then there's some legal considerations in there as well because if, if people have inquired in, about your business but then they get an email and they go, look, I've, I've got way too much email, you have to have an unsubscribe um, link in the, in, in the email somewhere. Typically, it's going to be placed at the bottom. And when they click on that link, uh, that has got to reliably remove them from your email marketing database because if you continue to, to, um, to promote them after that, there's, there's very significant fines that you can be exposed to. So I'd say there's, there's a couple of things that we need to consider in the, in the email marketing aspect of this. Um, number one, we need to have the tool set that allows us to be completely consistent in our, in our branding approach. And two, we need to have actually the, the, the tool set that makes it easy for us to to uh, send email, record responses. You know, get great reporting. Who opened the email? Who, um, you know, did any um, did it bounce off any addresses? And, and what we do about that? And also being able to automatically handle unsubscribe. So I'd always uh, definitely recommend people use a, a proper email marketing platform in that sense. Now, Ray, no doubt there's a few other considerations that we should put in there. So um, have you got anything to add to that? Yeah, I, I frequently talk about the importance of the actual email address. Uh, that is your name at yourbusinessname.com.au uh, and the Im importance of that for deliverability. Uh, so often, the a poor branded email is one that says, no reply at yourbusiness.com.au. <laughs> uh, I, I think that that should be banished uh, from, from Lexicon. It shouldn't be allowed on any email server. Um, so if you are a good business, you want people to email you. You want people to communicate with you. Why use a, 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 an email infrastructure, a part of the internet built uh, for collaboration, for you to be able to communicate, communicate across uh, the globe instantaneously, and then uh, create an email address that says, uh, don't send me email address, uh, don't send me email messages. <laughs> it, it's antithetical to the uh, concept of an email address to have an email address that says, don't email me. Uh, so don't do it. Um, second, the the type and, and the what shows up is what we call the alias um, in front of that email uh, domain is really important and, uh, and, and really comes to the email deliverability for your email messages that are going out, but also for the branding. Uh, think about it from the perspective that you could have an email that says uh, social at yourbusinessname.com. You can have an email that says uh, email marketing or marketing at yourbusinessname.com. And those are all fine. Uh, but remember that that's not particularly uh, useful to the person who's receiving the email and it's going to be a little bit uh, less human, less humane uh, to receive emails that are more about roles or titles as opposed to an actual individual. It depends on the business, right? You could have a customer service at yourbusinessname.com and uh, that can be totally useful if that helps uh, to bring a message to a customer service agent who can then respond back and be a human uh, that can help that person with their issue. Uh, but 
to be sending out messages on behalf of the organization and it just being kind of a, 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 a vague entity that is uh, marketing at yourbusinessname.com, uh, that's not particularly useful for a lot of people. We want to have a personal relationship, means, which means that it needs to be somebody. It could be you in the business. It could be the, your director of marketing, director of sales. Uh, it could be your content marketing manager. Somebody needs to be named in that email so that it feels more personal. And uh, that, that, I think, is just a really important part of the brand. That is, so much of the time, we're trying to take the business the, the, the web brand, the web presence, and establish it on its own that we forget that people actually relate to people. People want to do business with people they know, like, and trust. And email is this intimate technology that allows you to be able to do that. Why not utilize it in every capacity? So remember that even though we're doing this stuff with technology and we're sending out potentially large amounts of email to, to uh, you know, people in mass, uh, we should also recognize that we're also trying to establish a personal relationship with people. And so just something like putting the right email address to and from people, real humans, is actually really important. Um, let's move on to the topic of uh, social profiles, talking about humans communicating with humans. Uh, the next stage is the social web and making sure that we have the right and appropriate uh, branding for uh, brand identity, right? brand identity components for social. Uh, what are some things that you think about, Doug, when it comes to good branding on the social profiles of businesses? Sure. Um, I, I think with, with uh, the, the social profile of businesses, um, I, I think one of the things is that it's, it's quite, uh, it, it can be quite a challenge for the business to, to be completely consistent in the different social profiles just because of the nature of those different social media applications. So, um, you know, for example, how you handle Facebook versus Twitter versus Instagram, um, they, they all have their different nuances. And so I think it's, it's, it, it's obviously not impossible, but it's quite a challenge for, uh, you know, for the, for the business to make sure that they've got that, that, um, that consistency across the different types of social media. Um, uh, I think you mentioned before that you've got to you've got to think about just the, the business name that you're going to use in that social media and the and the character count that you've got available for, for creating a uh, you know a Twitter handle versus a, an Instagram address versus a Facebook address. So they're, they're they're all going to be you know quite quite different animals. Um, but I and and I think we can also look at them in terms of having quite different purposes um, because. If we're a if we're a B to C type of business, then I think we're going to be thinking, um, you know, preferentially I would imagine about Facebook and Instagram. Whereas if we're a B to B business, we might be thinking a little bit more about Twitter and LinkedIn, for example. So just because of the nature of those social media platforms, they are they are quite so different. Um, I think we've got to handle how we deal with them. Um, quite differently, you know what their what their role is and what they can do. To the business is going to be quite distinct. Um, but getting back to your point about about branding, um, again, it's 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 all about the consistency. It's about being uh, you know visually consistent, um, verbally consistent. The, the words you use, the catch, the, the you know the tagline for your business, that's got to be you know consistently right throughout there. And and sort of the, the you know the emotional hooks and and what you what you as a business stand for, the problem that you solve, has got to be evident 
to the maximum extent possible in these different social media um, platforms, just to, just as it should be distinct um, on your on your website and your you know mobile and and, and desktop you know web presence. Um, it's it's quite a challenge. Um, Ray, what would be your tips and hints? Um, you know, maybe think of a B two C business where they're really going to try and uh, handle Facebook and Instagram in a in a in a consistent way. Yeah, so you 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 provided a really good framework in terms of the theoretical kind of uh, approach to this. On the on the more practical levels, I tend to think about this from the perspective of how are we really doing uh, voice and tone as it relates to that brand. On on social media, you are representing a even more so than an email uh, this persona this this entity that is either the business or an actual individual that is representing uh, the social media profiles. So in essence, are you speaking as as the company uh, spokesperson? Are you speaking as a mascot on behalf of the company? Many companies have mascots, and so they're, they're speaking as uh, this uh, disembodied um, avatar. Uh, you need to think about the, the who's actually speaking uh, to people when it comes to the voice of that particular brand and what type of tone you're actually setting. You need to have style guides, uh, design, in essence, uh, establishing what the tone of the brand is going to be. Um, if you're a fairly snarky individual and you like coming across with a lot of sass and your business is uh, you know, a funeral home, uh, maybe that snark should leave its way on, you know, leave its uh, itself at the doorstep, right? Um, you need to have a calm, collected, uh, very empathetic tone with the brand. And if that's going to be your voice, you need to summon some really strong emotional, uh, you know, resilience and resistance uh, to the snark and sass and sarc sarcasm that normally comes out of you. Um, we need to think about these things when it comes to the business's persona and the business's voice and tone when it comes to this stuff. So I really think about um, how do we set up a style guide that says, you know, we're really not allowed to be sarcastic with people, even when people come at us with, uh, with inappropriate uh, you know, messages or things that might be incendiary. This is how we're going to respond to those things. Uh, we're going to be calm, collected, and we're going to be appropriate with people because they're dealing with this particular circumstance and they're looking at us to be that voice of calm and reason. So uh, it depends on the business. Of course, if you're, uh, say, Wendy's, the, the um, you know, fast food uh, restaurant chain, they're super snarky and uh, and that's their whole brand, that's their whole tone. Um, they, they come across with this very um, interesting snark and they're always funny and, and they try to um, subtweet other brands uh, and that's just the nature of their business and it's fun-loving and it's, it's it's all done in good jest and it really works for them. So we have to really think about who's the voice of the of the social media profiles and what is the tone of those profiles and really sticking to it. You can't deviate from that unless it's really, really important. These tend to be transactional uh, or other kinds of messages that are related to, say, if there's a, a, a natural disaster or if there's some kind of major event that's happening, the company's filing for bankruptcy, those kinds of things. That's not where uh, Wendy's should start pulling out the snark, pulling out the, the um, funny jokes. They need to just put out information and they need to do that in a calm, collected, uh, clear manner. Uh, but for the most part, you want the brand to uh, stick to their voice and tone on a regular basis. And then, of course, there are the visual elements. You should make sure that the header on your Facebook page and the header on your Twitter page and the header on your LinkedIn company page all should be consistent. They should all look the same. You should have the same sense of your logo across the spaces. The same language should be used in your bios so that people know what you're all about no matter where they come first 
in, in come into first contact with the business. You want to make sure that these things are consistent across different profiles because you never know where someone's going to first find you. And when they do first find you, you want them to get the same message so that you can have a consistent understanding between the two of you, you the potential customer and us the business as to what it is that we provide, making sure that you have your domain name uh, put up there. And you may decide, as Doug said before, you may decide to have a particular type of domain show that directs to your business website that's different than the one you normally use because it's the right branded message for people on those uh, social profiles. So you may direct people to a social page on your website, or you may decide to use a different domain uh, for people to come to uh, for that. For example, on Instagram, we have a, a URL in from our link in our bio um, that directs people to a social media page specifically for Instagram. And that's important because Instagram doesn't allow links in posts. So we have to use that page that they come to to be able to give them those links that we are providing in the posts associated with it. So you have to give some thought here about how you're going to brand particular pages for people to be able to experience the right social experience you want them to have uh, built on that, again, voice and tone. Um, we're going to round this out, Doug, with talking about mobile. So this is always the last phase that I tend to think about um, in the development of, of any particular brand identity because most businesses don't think about launching a mobile application first. And uh, I think all of you should have a mobile application. Uh, but uh, until everybody decides to do so, um, there are still some components to consider when we talk about branding a mobile application. And so beyond the, uh, the basic components of say the mobile app icon, the icon that typically people see when they click on their on their phone or tablet and they open up the app. So you have a mobile app icon. You might have uh, various uh, screens that people see when they open up the app originally or for the first time, they're gonna see that kind of big branded uh, page that is what they first see. And then they might have a login screen and they might have some other pieces that they see when they log into a, into a mobile application. What are some things that people should consider, Doug, when it comes to having a well-branded digital identity in a mobile app? I, you know, definitely I would just go back to, to where we started at the beginning, which was, which was just the consistency of the, the visual, verbal, and emotional communications with with the app um, again um, when we were talking about um, how to structure the website and how to how to make sure that all the design elements and the functionality of, of the website um, could be could be constructed we went back and said well what is the what, what is the experience of our customers when then when it, when they're not online but they're engaging with our business and they and and they're purchasing products or they're, they're purchasing services what does that journey look like? What are the steps that they go through? So we, we did talk about, you know, somebody comes into, you know, in, into the premises, um, whatever it is that they're looking for, what do they see? How do they end up approaching us? Where do they walk in the store? When do they start to ask questions of, of our staff? And if you translate that all the way back to the, to the mobile app, I think that thought process will inform having designed the app nicely in terms of the branding standpoint, how you need to structure the app in terms of a, um, a, a user experience uh, point of view. And the, the second thing that I would add to that, um, and I think this is just more a word of, of caution, you don't really have to to uh, you know to, to comply with this, this suggestion in any way, 
But I noticed that with a lot of the apps that we all have on our on our mobile devices, um, when we sign up for them, we we give up, if you like, we agree to in terms of the the, the terms of the service. We we say to the uh, to the application developer, and I I allow you to activate the microphone on my mobile device at any time, to activate the camera, to activate video recording, to um, keep a record of what inbound phone calls that I've received and from whom, and what outbound phone calls I've made and to whom, and for how long did I talk to them. And all these different data sets are gathered by so many application developers, and I strongly suspect that apart from Facebook and Instagram and a few others, they don't actually have any significant use for them. You want the data that you can use immediately, and I would suggest try and keep it to a minimum because I do think it's also a potential risk factor that if you're sitting on this data and if for any if for any reason it is it is breached and it does people some some harm and it and it potentially can, then what you've done is is, is you've created a liability for which there is no um, offsetting gain or, or benefit to the business. So, you know, two things. One one point would be try and make the user's experience in the mobile app consistent with what you want on your, your website and, and consistent with what you know about what happens offline. And the second thing is just a word of caution about don't go all in collecting every piece of data that you can get them to, to agree with or agree to giving you. Just go after something that's going to be useful for you and use that. I think that those are very practical points. I, I on, on a more uh, high level, I always think about if you're going to launch a mobile application, the biggest uh, reason someone downloads that application is its function. What's its functionality? Why am I in, in the first place downloading that app? Uh, and then, of course, you want to stay persistent, uh, kind of to Doug's uh, cybersecurity message here. Uh, you kind of want to be like malware. You want to stay on the device. You don't want to get deleted um, because that means that your the longevity of your brand um, is your ability to stay on the mobile device and be able to push notifications to the user. Um, and if we're thinking about this from a sales perspective, the, the more that person uses your phone, um, uses the, your app on their phone, uh, the more intimate the relationship gets. And I, I frequently talk about um, intimacy, that is the intimacy of a, of a marketing communique, uh, the intimacy of the relationship between uh, buyer and, and business. Uh, what, what I mean by that is uh, the stronger the bond. We really need to think about strengthening the bond between the business and the uh, individual customers. And mobile applications are the kind of the pinnacle of that. It gives you an ability to be able to have this very um, strong relationship, this strong bond, because of the function that you're giving to that user. So really, think about the function, and that must be caked into the brand identity on the mobile application. And then, of course, is uh, the the design of the of the application needs to fit the type of function that it's providing. So for example, if your application is providing, uh, say, some is just informational, then the then the application should really take on the the tone and tenor of say a mentor or of a scholar that is providing information to the user what what would you do if you had a merlin um you know character type tone and voice does it fit your brand um or do you need uh more someone more uh kind of uh a uh, little uh caricature type that is more uh a younger uh 
you know, avatar that is kind of a little know-it-all, kind of like a little rascals type character, um, you know, like Alfalfa. Uh, you know, you need to start thinking about the, the character of the application and how it's actually connecting to your brand. And that, that um, experience then becomes somewhat of an individual. It becomes its own, it's like another person in the person's pocket. It's, it's, an, it's an extension of the brand, but it's also this, this, uh, this unique individual uh, that is attempting to communicate with that person. Now, if it's not providing information and it's doing some other function, then it should act like that function. Uh, you're trying to anthropomorphize the functions of the, the mobile application so that it actually becomes a person it becomes like a, a little person that's living inside of my app. Um, the app becomes the little person who's living inside my phone. Um, and that establishes a bond. It establishes a relationship. And it makes me, to, makes me want to come back to that app. It makes me want to use it over and over again. And that's what you need the app to be able to do. And so often that's a missing element in the branding of mobile applications. People, uh, in essence, are just... Uh, um, bundling together functionality, shoving it inside the shell of an app, and then telling people to use the application. When in re reality, what people do is they, they come to an, a mobile application for function, but they stay for a relationship. So how are you establishing that relationship? And that comes in the form of establishing these brand identity components, uh, the, the color of the app and the interface, and the way in which you subtly create an avatar for them. Uh, it could be some stuff that's really, really um, psychologically um, fun, like um, the design of the interface could look like a face, um, not not a real face, but note, for example, that humans are very, very cued in to eyes and mouths. And so you can actually have a three-part interface where you have a top left-hand component, top right-hand component, and then a central lower component that just in essence makes someone think they're looking at a face. By, by putting this little psychological notion of a face onto the screen, it gives them a, uh, a further relationship with the application. These little sub subtle psychological hints that you're interacting with a person can be very, very useful. So not to get too deep into this, because I could talk about this for, for many, many days straight, but uh, mobile application brand identity is really about uh, fundamentally creating a function built on top of a design that establishes a relationship. And the more it can do that, the, the more likely a person is to come back to an application and use it over and over again, which means that they have a stronger relationship not only with the application, but also with the business. And it's one of the reasons why I always recommend businesses to think about developing a mobile application. You know, after they get their website up and running, after they get their uh, mobile uh, components in place for the website, then they can start thinking about their mobile application development. It does not take you being a developer to develop a mobile application. There is a lot of technology out there today that allows you to be able to build it without being a coder or being a developer and publishing really good applications that can be functional and also establish strong relationships with the business. I think that's a very comprehensive uh, take on the on the mobile app element there. So, so just sort of thinking this through, I think I think we've sort of covered off the uh, the brand identity. Um, it's pretty comprehensive now in terms of the, the visual, verbal, and emotional elements, and then translating them to the different iterations, I guess, of our online presence. We've, we've spoken about um, obviously the website, the website being mobile adaptive, um, email marketing, social media. And now, of course, the mobile application. Um, I don't know. Is there is there anything left to 
to, to cover Ray or, or Barry, I think we might be uh, we might be there. Yeah, I think uh, Ray. Um, anything that you want to add to this discussion at this stage? Nope. If you if you get me talking again, I'll I'll be I'll go on and on for days about this. So, yeah, well, <laughs> so we I think I think, I think we're done. Uh, be be happy to do that, but we probably haven't got days. Um, uh, I imagine that anybody who's watching this on a mobile application, their phone will run out before we get to the end of it. So we'd better not do that. Yeah, battery battery power is is a is a commodity these days, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for your time again today. This has been. A, another important discussion, and in a moment uh, we'll uh, you'll be happy to answer any questions if people have got them and they send them in. Yes, of course, yeah, of course. terrific. All right, thank you, Doug and Ray. We will see you both again next week. Good night. Thanks, Barry. This has been Switched on IT. Uh, you've been watching a session talking about mobile and internet branding. Now, if you have any questions that you would like to ask Doug or Ray, if there's anything you'd like them to expand on, anything that they missed that you would like them to talk about, please be sure to send us an email at feedback at ptvchannelo.com or you can leave a message on our website, on the contact page on the website, and we'll answer any questions that you've got and anything that you would like Doug or Ray to respond to, uh, just send that to us. Next week, we will be back with another session of uh, Switched On IT. Don't forget that if you've missed any of the Switched On IT sessions and you'd like to review them, you'll find everything on our video on demand. In addition, be sure to go and have a look at some of our other shows on the site as well. We've got some new shows coming up soon, so be sure to keep your eye open for them. If you haven't downloaded our app, and we have an app, be sure to go and have a look for the PTV Channel O app on the App Store. This has been Barry for Switched On IT. Oh, uh, be sure that you connect with us on our social as well. You'll find us on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and on Instagram. Go and connect with us. Be sure that you share those things with your friends and let's get this information out to as many people as possible. Thank you for watching. We'll see you again next week. Thank you.